0: Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast, Episode 10, the Blame and Deflect edition of the Grip Strip Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Phil Matthew. I'm here with my co-host, Joshua Fine. Uh, Great weekend. We had plenty of racing. It's uh, like we're back to normal somehow, right, Josh?
1: Oh, yeah. It's definitely more back to normal now that we have all the other series back on a regular basis now.
0: Yeah, and we're going to go over all the—we're going to go at least— over the NASCAR, we'll at the Brickyard, both uh, the Badger 400 and the Penzoil 150 Xfinity race, the GMR Grand Prix of Indy, and for the Indy cars, the Austrian Grand Prix. We'll also do previews for each one of those series. Um, if we have some time, we'll uh, go into some sports car discussion, but we'll see. Uh, we will be talking about NASCAR Kentucky Road America doubleheader for the IndyCars, and Formula One at Austria for a second week in a row. Uh, we will start with the Austrian Grand Prix, and also the news that uh, broke earlier this afternoon or this morning, that uh, a certain Fred Alonso is going to be coming back for his third stint at Renault, Uh, Fernando Alonso, the two-time Formula One world champion, considered by many one of the great drivers of his time, and uh, has been basically a nomad driving sports cars, winning Le Mans. He ran Dakar this uh, past uh, January. He's going to run the Indianapolis 500, or at least try to run the Indianapolis 500 for Spam. But he's going to be coming back to Formula One in 2021 as uh, Esteban Ocon's teammate. So I guess we'll start before we get into Valtteri Bottas's win on Sunday. Uh, what were your initial thoughts and what are you thinking? What do you feel that Fernando Alonso can bring to a team that has kind of been scuffling for a while and needs a lot of help can alonzo bring that energy and that help necessary to bring them back to where they were 15 years ago
1: yeah it's certainly possible you know fernando Alonso has a lot of veteran experience um and you know he has history with the team so it could be a, a good fit uh, i was um well first of all i think i think i remember like a couple of weeks ago when we were going over the previews i think i mentioned him as a guy that could you know come back to reno you know he's been rumored to be coming back to um, some ride in formula one we didn't know what it was and now and it's uh, going to be at reno but it, it seems like maybe um i, I don't know the, what the terms of the the deal is if this is going to be a, a one-year deal or a multi-year deal but uh it's uh, something that could work out and or it may not work out um we'll have to see but certainly um it's Something worth paying attention to, and um, you wonder um, if if they're not good out of the gate. And we know that Fernando Alonso has a tendency to have, you know, his attitude is very much based on how well the team is. And if you know he ends up, you know, getting in the bottom of the points or no points, um, rather than you know podiums or or you know the somewhere in the middle of the top ten. You know, I think he's either going to be frustrated or he's going to be very happy. So this, it's all very dependent on how Renault as a team performs
0: overall. And I think of one piece that some of the people uh, you know, on social media during, since this has come out. I mean, the official announcement will be on Wednesday. We're doing this on Tuesday night. Uh, but it'll be on Wednesday that Fernando Alonso will be coming back. I would assume that it would have to be at least a three-year deal because the uh, the regulations are going to stay, like, flat for 2021. They're going to put some restrictions and the cost cap in in 2021. Uh, then 2022 will be a brand-new car, and they'll have a whole bunch of new uh, uh different uh, things bigger wheels like they have in formula two right now they're they're running those 18 inch rims they're gonna have different aero basically the engine and everything that goes with that's gonna stay the same but the car itself uh will be changed uh in a in a great way so it's kind of what hamilton did in 13 signing or 12 signing with mercedes Knowing that in 13 it wouldn't be a, a great year, but that he'd have his opportunities here and there. P- planning towards 14, maybe that's the idea for Fernando Alonso to get himself back in the the flow of uh, Formula One. I wonder how his relationship will be with uh, Cyril, the, uh, the I can't say his last name, so whatever his the the team principal for Renault who many people are not a fan of. Uh Daniel Ricardo's um exit from Renault was handled pretty poorly by him as well. Uh they've had basically a revolving door of drivers since he's been there. So you wonder, um, will Alonzo come in there and being an alpha that he is, will he push Cyril out the door, bring in somebody that he knows to try to go and get some things moving there um i guess we'll find out we'll see but it brings it brings back one of the most well-respected well-known drivers and on the on the notion that sebastian vettel leaves the sport uh which is seems more likely now with this announcement uh it'll bring back another world champion we don't know what's going to happen with Kimi raikkonen Based on how the, the first race went for both of those guys, I have a hard time believing they're going to be coming back if that's how they run every single race. Um, so we, we'd be down to two world champions, I think, at that point with uh, Lewis and with Fernando Alonso, if those two guys leave. But I guess we'll see. Let's uh, talk about the race and the weekend itself, the Austrian Grand Prix. Valtteri Bottas... Uh, wins and he, uh, gets, uh, his, his second year in a row, I believe he won the first race of the season. So he's, uh, kind of getting into a motor habit of doing that. Uh, he's always been good at Austria, even at Williams. He was able to go and and, and do well there. Uh, and he should have won probably one of the races there in a Williams, but they screwed up with strategy. Um, he wins this race and charlotte claire finishes second after a very difficult weekend for ferrari where they weren't on pace lando norris gets his first career podium for mclaren and lewis hamilton finishes fourth uh there's plenty to talk about with lewis carlos signs fifth and uh in terms of That We'll start with that. So Valtteri Bottas goes and qualifies on pole by just a few uh, thousandths of a a second over Lewis Hamilton. And that's where Lewis Hamilton's weekend kind of started going off the rails. And uh, Bottas was able to go take off, get a lead. Hamilton was stuck in fifth after getting a three-grid spot penalty because Red Bull brought video showing that he ran through a yellow flag when he was on his last hot lap, relegated Hamilton to fifth, had to come back through the traffic, came up to second with some help, of course, and was making progress, had a chance to – he was making a move to possibly get past Bottas before the first uh, safety car. Then another safety car soon followed, uh, the safety car for uh, Kevin Magnuson, and then there was a, a safety car, uh, which uh, with um, what do you call George Russell having an engine or a fuel pressure issue, and soon after a uh, Kimi Raikkonen. Those safety cars and some of the things that happened there. Um, sent uh, Lewis Hamilton further back because he got into it with uh, Alexander Albon. Um, Plenty to talk about. I think we could get into things I probably should slow down. So first thing we'll go with um, is Botas, how he performed on this weekend. Uh, What do you think, Josh, about his prospects um, as we talked about last week in terms of what he could do try to win a world championship now he comes through has a weekend where he he was the dominant figure Uh, what does this mean for him in terms of trying to get that elusive first world championship
1: well it certainly means that you know he's ready to win the title i think and we talked about him last week saying that he wanted to um challenge lewis hamilton this year and he was very confident in his ability to do that and that's quite a statement to make um in of itself, and now that he's won one race, and he thoroughly dominated that race, I think it's fair to say that, yes, uh, this, is, this is his best chance to win the title, and, yeah, it's just the first race back, and who knows what happens uh, down down the road, even, next week, being at the same site, uh, but we'll see how it goes, but I, I really do think that Valtteri Bottas uh, is going to challenge Lewis Hamilton, and probably in the same way that Nico Rosberg challenged Lewis Hamilton and was able to defeat him in 2016. Um, at least competitively, I think that's how we'll see uh, Valderr ́botas challenge Hamilton.
0: Yeah, it's it's something he, him beating Lewis Hamilton there. Botas going and getting that pole was a huge deal. Uh, if even if Hamilton had gotten the pole, he would have gotten a three grid spot penalty anyway. So it would have moved up. Botas and Max were stopping and would have, we still probably would have had a similar kind of situation there. Botas was able to hold uh, and and kind of pull a gap, but the problems, the similar problems to last year for Mercedes at Austria where uh, it wasn't an overheating issue this year, but they still had a, technical issue based on how the car was made and sensors because of the roughness of going over the curbs were um, causing faults and different issues with the gearbox and heating and overheating which put the both mercedes in a in a position where they could have possibly fallen out and it's interesting because only 11 cars finished which is the first time I can remember in many years where nine cars didn't even nine cars didn't even finish. That's it's crazy to think. So uh, I mean there was there were seven retirements and then Albon and Kvyat went out. They were still classified um, on the results. So it, it's it's crazy to think. You look at Lewis's weekend. Yeah, yeah, the penalty. In qualifying, it's debatable. They they said no problem. Then Red Bull came back because Red Bull has to be how they are because they're they're pussies and they have to go and and figure out however they can to mess with Mercedes and went after Hamilton's qualifying lap, demoted him. Max Verstappen was ahead of him and had medium tires at the start, which should have been an advantage, but then he had electronic issues. Uh, relegates him to a dead last finish on Sunday, which is a huge blow at home, a home race for the owner, Matisic at his home racetrack, Verstappen's a two-time defending winner there, Um, only getting 11 laps was pretty brutal, and it kind of let Mercedes kind of do what they had to do. Um, Then, because uh, Alexander Albon was able to pit, and put on uh, soft tires. He was trying to make a pass late in the race. Uh, that was after the yellow for, um, uh, Raikkonen after his tire came off and he made contact with Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton was given a five second penalty, which with Lando Norris running the fastest lap of the race on the final lap, uh, relegated Lewis to a fourth place finish. So, Lewis came out and said it was a sloppy weekend. Everybody has talked about it. It wasn't his best weekend. Uh, Is, are we in a position, Josh, where is Lewis going and spreading himself too thin with some of the, um, you know, the social uh, aspect, the social justice aspect that he's kind of taken a front line uh, view of and kind of taken a lead on is he, was that the issue there Or just was it a bad weekend for Lewis and he's going to get back to being who he is, which is one of the greatest ever here on Sunday in the second uh, uh, race at Austria?
1: No, I think right now you just have to classify his performance last weekend as more of a one-off. Certainly, you know, if he repeats this um, or just seems like he's off, then yeah, I think you'll be able to make the conclusion that uh, his involvement as uh, in the social justice and racial justice is uh, could be spreading him too thin, but I think for right now it's a little bit premature to say that. But certainly, though, this was a very uncharacteristic um, uh, weekend for him. But then again, you know, tying it back to Botas, you know, I certainly do think that there's a little pressure there. You know, so perhaps yes, like later on, if it continues like this then yeah we'd be able to say that not only he's being pressured by Botas but he's also um maybe not being able to be as as focused as he can but uh, it's something that we'll have to wait and see
0: yeah the, the I mean that's it's definitely a point that you know you brought up last week and this week now as well that if Botas is really on and if we're if this is this new Valtteri Botas and he's he's like went on some crazy health routine and he's turned into like a a Nico Rosberg, except with talent. It could be a real problem for Lewis trying to go and win this seventh world championship, win all the races he has to win to go and uh, get to Michael Schumacher. And it's and for Lewis to have a bad race. Yeah. Every great driver has a bad race here and there. So uh, I think after what happened on Sunday or this whole weekend, I mean, after Friday it looked pretty good for Lewis and it kind of went away from there. Uh, I think he'll be fine and he'll be focused to try to go and accumulate uh, more points. He's given up he's he's now uh, 13 points behind right now early on in the season. That's a lot. Um, but it's not as bad as Max Verstappen's situation or Alex Albon, or or you know even for uh, Sebastian Vettel only got one point, so it's it's something to be seen. We'll uh, we'll look at that. I mean, we'll run through the rest of the top, the rest of the finishers. Sergio Perez after starting sixth finished sixth. Pierre Gasly for AlfaTori seventh. Esteban Ocon in his debut for Renault eighth. Giovinazzi ninth. Vettel tenth. Nicholas Latifi. In his Formula One debut, who started dead last, was the last uh, actual finisher in uh, 11th. So the the amount of uh, the what do you call attrition was a key, was a big deal. Uh, the biggest, of course, was uh, Max Verstappen falling out uh, very early in the race with electronics issues. We talked about it last week, Josh, about how the pressure is on not only Red Bull, but Honda to come through with a package that can hold up. And it, at least last weekend, it it, it was good in qualifying, not good enough to qualify on bull, but in the race, pace was okay. They had a strategy which might have been able to do something. And frankly, Alexander Albon was in a position to possibly win his first Grand Prix before the contact with Hamilton, um, whether the contact with Hamilton was part of the reason why the electronics went on the car or if it was a, another issue. The question would be um, the concern for Verstappen now being 25 points behind, Red Bull getting no points in uh, the Constructors' Championship and being well behind Mercedes one race in. Um, what are your thoughts? I mean, there's other guys that had a lot of issues in this race, so but he's the guy that is probably the most likely candidate to try to force or give Hamilton and or Botas problems here. So what are your thoughts on what happened with Red Bull on Sunday?
1: Yeah, it wasn't really a great way to start the season, really, for Red Bull. I mean... You know, uh, Verstappen, you know, he had a chance to, you know, he was running well before he had the uh, mechanical failure on his car. And I mean, one thing we have to say is that you know, he wasn't putting all his chips on the table for just this one race, but he was, you know, focused long-term on the season. But this isn't the way you want to start out. You know, I don't think he, when he um, said that or, you know, when he talked about how he expected to perform this year, I don't think he would um, envision himself uh, not finishing the race at at all like that but it's not the way uh how you'd start and i think it's very disappointing and alexander Albon himself you know uh he was he was in third place getting ready to make a power move on the outside uh with lewis hamilton and then they made contact uh and he spun out and then um didn't hear from him after that and then he then he also suffered a failure and i think i think it was impressive that he was uh running that well uh that lead into the uh the Grand Prix but I think you know should should show that he uh could potentially you know have uh very good races down the uh down the line here for this season so certainly in that you can say it's encouraging but that they didn't get any points is disappointing
0: Yeah and Albon has he was making progress there right at the end of the season where he took a step forward he doesn't have the same pace or kind of what you would consider like world championship. I would say talent as a max or stop. And he's not like that top line guy, but Albon brings, I think a stability and he brings the amount of pace and consistency to not only bring points on the constructor side, but be able to compete. And the, the, Incident that the Brazilian Grand Prix Lewis took full blame. The incident that took place on Sunday, I had a uh, con—I mean, short conversation with somebody who I think is a hates Lewis Hamilton, so he made it basically obvious. Um, and I, as a Lewis Hamilton fan, it's going to go and look as though I'm I'm standing for him in that spot. It was a racing incident, to me. Uh, I think if Albon had held his line, he would have been able to make that pass cleanly. I think he could have also held on for a little longer, got him on the front straightaway, on one of the in one of the DRS because they have three DRS zones anyway at, at Austria. Uh, I think he could have picked a di- different spot to make that pass, and he still would have got it. Um, it's unfortunate. It's interesting because it kind of builds the whole story for the Red Bull and uh, Mercedes rivalry. but um, I, I guess we'll see what happens on uh, on neck on this weekend because I think it's just literally the same thing. They're not gonna change uh, anything this weekend. It's gonna be exactly the same. Uh, they can't change a circuit of course, they can't really change a tire. They may, they probably could, but they won't. Um, they're not going to get rid of the a DRS zone. So uh, we will see what uh, Albon and Red Bull can do. And um, the last thing we'll do before we move on, uh, talk about Charles Leclerc um, and uh, Lando Norris. So uh, Charles Leclerc was buried, qualified seventh. Ferrari is not going to have updates or they're going they now have said that they're going to try to, Uh, fast track their updates to this weekend or at least some of them but for Leclerc to pull out a second place finish here what does it say about him and kind of what we talked about last weekend as him being a leader taking that leadership role uh, at Ferrari for what he needs to do to possibly contend for this world championship
1: yeah it certainly says a lot about him and his resolve to uh, finish well, and you know this this race did have a lot of uh, attrition, certainly. But you know he was able to um, make the most out of his car and uh, finish uh, on the podium. And you know going into this race, we th- like I thought the Ferrari was going to be behind the eight ball because like we we talked about like Mercedes had updates, uh, McLaren had updates, and. and I think even like Racing Point, they had updates and, uh, you know, a lot of other teams had updates and Ferrari was the one team that was pretty clear that they, they weren't going to have an update for at least the first couple of races. And I, as soon as uh, they had bad qualifying results, I was like, well, you know, that's uh, how it's going to go for them this weekend. they're going to be behind the whole weekend. And that uh, LeClerc was able to finish in second, I, I think, um, shows that even when uh, the odds are against them they're able to um, make the best out of that situation
0: going yeah, going and being able to pull something out of their butt basically uh, they didn't have the pace uh, they didn't really do anything of great significance when you look at how Vettel only moved up one spot uh, and, and Leclerc was somehow able of course with some of the other RG Bargy that went on and uh, the issues for, for drivers that were up front, the both Red Bulls, uh, you consider racing point didn't have as much pace in the race as they did in qualifying. Uh, I mean, that's, it shows that Leclerc is taking at least initially taking that step forward that he needs to, to possibly, uh, contend, which, which is what we want. We want a more competitive world championship. Uh, Lewis, if he's going to get number seven, he's going to have to earn it. And it looks like that's what it's going to be. And I guess we should end with a shout out to Lando Norris getting the fastest lap of the race, qualifying third on merit, um, to go and 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 have that kind of run and a McLaren. That's the first time McLaren's been up there in about three years or four years or something. I, it's been a long time for McLaren to be up there and then to pull the fastest lap on the final lap of the race to get his first podium. I mean, Norris has become uh, a more of a, a, a cult figure with his um, racing exploits and uh, his personality and all that being kind of a goofy guy being friends with Albon and uh, George Russell, but guy can drive and he proved it on Sunday. He was able to pull out a a podium and Carlos signs getting a top five finish as well. So great points for McLaren in terms of the constructors championship. Uh, Thoughts on uh, McLaren there, Josh before and Norris before we uh, move on to IndyCar.
1: Yeah, it was uh, a great showing by McLaren. They qualified, like you said, they qualified on merit in third place, and that was, you know, something like we were questioning whether or not McLaren would maybe take that next step uh, going into the season. And, you know, they start out qualified third and they're able to maintain their position throughout the race. And, yeah, I mean, he was going to finish fourth if uh, Lewis Hamilton didn't get that penalty, but uh, they, they were still able to get a great finish. And I and, and uh, have to say that's a great driving skill to get the fastest lap on the last lap. And it shows the level of determination that he had because like he was basically like very um very close to not getting that podium because Lewis Hamilton had that five second penalty and he was able able to make uh, up enough of the gap uh to to get that result and it was because the the uh fastest lap was able to help him do that. So I, I think um it's certainly a very very great result for uh Leonard Norris at the least and even um, even for the other McLaren car and driver with the Carlos Sainz as well, uh, I think uh, something this is something to look forward to for McLaren, and certainly shows that at least for now they've uh, gotten off on the right step.
0: Yeah, the for McLaren, I think step forward, great improvements on their car. Uh, these the not only the cost cap, but the uh, the flat regulations might bring mclaren back to where they've been they used to be which was up front and competing with those big teams which is good we need to have more teams up there and once they get the mercedes engine it's going to be interesting to see how they compete relative to the factory mercedes program um, relative to the aston martin team Uh, which will also have mercedes at least for what for what i know of who knows what they're going to be doing um and if williams is still alive for next year too uh dad this week we'll we'll also we'll get into the austrian uh, second race in austria and preview that later but Before that, we'll get into the IndyCar race, the GMR Grand Prix of Indy, the Indy GP. Scott Dixon goes and uh, does what Scott Dixon does. Um, He goes and pits before what ended up being the yellow that basically decided the race. Uh, Oliver Askew goes and crashes in the final corner for Spam. And he had pitted before that, which basically cycled him to the lead. Uh, Willpower had led the entire race up to that point. Uh, and then after that was not heard from for the rest of the day, uh, struggled. But Scott Dixon used that strategy and also uh, great pace to pass Green Ray Hall. Um, as Lee he likes to call him, and uh, who was running a two-stop strategy and, and just pulled away for uh, win number 48 of his illustrious career. Um, I mean, thoughts on uh, the race itself, Josh, and uh, is a two out of two this year an IndyCar, if you count what he did at the Rolex 24, he's three for three, is this the year? Is Scott Dixon going to get number uh, six? Is he going to get championship number six this year?
1: Yeah, I I think it's possible for him to get number six this year. Uh, and and even that, like I think you're going to see him move up a couple places on in the uh, IndyCar uh, all-time winners standings. I think if I'm not mistaken, I think he's very close to topping Mario Andretti. Uh, I'm not positive on for that.
0: Polls, but, yeah, yeah, for or, polls. Or, or, no, Contact I don't know if well, he's mix. close to wins.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, well, certainly he's going to get closer to that, if not over top him, either either way, though. But, um, you know, he's already gone two for two for this, uh, this week. And then, you know, next week is another road course in Road America. And certainly he can at least win one of those races. So, you know, if he goes even three for three or, or four for four or three out of four, you know, uh, he'll be well set uh, for the championship going later this year and he'll place himself, uh, well ahead of the competition. He's already 29 points ahead of Simon Pagano in the standings. So I, I think, um, it's, uh, kudos to Ganassi for giving him an excellent car. And, you know, he's also, um, probably in modern Indy car since at least, um, since, you know, the, the split has probably been the best driver overall in, um, American open wheel racing. Um, as for the race itself, you know, it wasn't really a, I mean, it wasn't really that great a race. I mean, yeah, because uh, Scott Dixon dominated the whole thing and actually he didn't even lead the most lapsable, Pirate did, but uh, still, I mean, it was, you know, kind of your typical um, Indy race at the Indy Grand Prix, but nothing, you know, nothing really to, uh, I guess, write home about, but it was still a solid outing, I think, um, and, you know, they got uh, one of their best ratings overall in the Um, I guess, for for this particular race. So I think that's a good thing, too. Going
0: going and utilizing their doubleheader deal with NASCAR and running it the same weekend at Indianapolis, they use that momentum very well, IndyCar. The promotion NBC did also helped. The Indy Grand Prix, that course and those cars don't really work uh the, they'd have to make a, more adjustments i think to the infield to make the racing a little better per se uh the race we're going to be talking about a little later i think was a little bit more interesting on that course but it, you, you had will power started on pole led the first 28 laps uh the yellow basically screwed up his uh his race and then he basically fell to oblivion and finished twentieth. Uh, Dixon utilized that, passes greenery Hall, um, and then dominates the second half of the race. Um, and that's what you, you it's something that basically since two thousand eight, since when or two thousand nine, since Will Power's been driving for Penske, uh, Dixon and Will Power have been the two best guys, really. Uh, you, know, you had Dario Franchitti there before his injury injuries uh, made him reti- uh, had him retire. You had time with uh, Ryan hunter Ray, and you've had some other guys, of course, come in like Joseph Newgard and Pagano and Alexander Rossi. But those are the two dominant figures. They dominated the race. Uh, I, we talked about Ray Hall. They had the right strategy. If the yellow doesn't come out, he showed pace. Uh, he had a good qualifying run, which is surprising for Graham. He struggles in qualifying in general, so the fact that he had a good qualifying run was a big deal for Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, the, uh, the the limited schedule car with Spencer Piggott had great pace during the weekend. Uh, almost made the fast twelve. Um, somehow or another, Takuma Sato, who wasn't anywhere all weekend, got a top 10, but really there was nothing going on there. What does it say about Graham Rahal and um, his opportunity in terms of trying to make something happen here? He's uh, fifth in points right now. Uh, he's uh, only 21 points out of second. Um, what does it say for Graham Rahal trying to go and. Uh, get some shoes for his new baby with Courtney um, and uh, possibly get a win again. First win he'd have in a couple of years.
1: Well, if he can maintain the performance that he had this last race, I think possibly, yeah, a win is certainly on the table. And, yeah, he showed great pace and he led laps. And, and yeah, if he, the caution didn't come out, the yellow flag didn't come out, then it certainly would have been a serious contender to win the race. But I'm not ready to say that I um, would put Graham Halls ready to quite ready to take the next step. Because the last two seasons, it seems like he just hasn't had the um, overall car and maybe the ability with uh, the low downforce setup that IndyCar has gone to um, the last two years. And I think I wonder if he's kind of struggled with that and if you know there's something that. It suits his skill set because seemed like when they went to the uh, Aero uh, kits and the Kardashians that they had on the uh, rear tires, uh, the front or the back bumpers and and pods and all that I I. Think uh, Graham Hale was a better driver uh, under that setup, and you know he won quite a quite a few races with uh, with that setup. But seems like maybe maybe turning a corner after two years of kind of struggling. Maybe he's found a, a better handle with this low downforce car uh, that IndyCar has. But I think it's a wait and see right now for me. But certainly could maybe it's uh, possible that that team will and that organization. Um, Maybe they'll improve this
0: year. That's a good one, Kardashians. That's a good way to put it, yeah, because they were definitely fake, and they were definitely huge, Um, and it it really made a difference for sure in terms of the aesthetic on uh, these race cars. Uh, That's a good one, the Kardashian bumpers and all that, especially on the super speedways, which is where... Where uh, Graham uh, was able to get a couple of those wins in some epic uh, finishes, both at California, which they should still be racing at, and uh, Texas, which is a dump, but they still race there too. Uh, he hasn't won a race since 17. Uh, he's only had three podium finishes since the start of the 2018 season so it's been a struggle for Graham I think he's run better in some of the races and had bad luck um, but at least he's showing up and trying unlike other guys who have a famous name and um, are a waste of a seat Marco Andretti Um, Graham Rahal will be making his 200th IndyCar start on uh, Saturday which is effing scary when you consider how that he was, he started at 19 years old in 2008. He won his first race and uh, he's run 200, he's going to have run 200 IndyCar races. That is something. Um, I, the, the one of the standout performances is Simon Pagano, a guy who did won three, there had only been two winners of the GMR Grand Prix Simon Pagino won the inaugural one for spam role to Schmidt-Peterson back then. And then he's won twice with Penske. And then Will Power had won it three times after qualifying on pole. This was the first time that hadn't happened. But he Pagino had a nightmare qualifying on Friday. He got buried, started 20th, but somehow or another finished third. What a recovery for... Uh, uh, Simon Pagano who used this race and then the Indianapolis 500 to basically, in a way, save his career. Uh, thoughts on Simon Pagano and what he did on uh, Saturday bear, coming from tailback, as Rusty would say?
1: Yeah, I think it was um, a well of a comeback, uh, to be quite frank with you. But I think shows the ability that he has and it also shows... Just how well prepared, or not well prepared, but well, yeah, well prepared because they were able to come back from that situation that they were in. You know, they may not always have the best cars at Penske, but you can certainly be rest assured that they will be the most prepared uh, no matter what. That's always the, the unfair advantage, as um, Mark Donahue um, had once said, and what Penske had kind of their motto is at that team. But, you know, it's a well of a comeback, and, and I think uh, we'll see more of, maybe not more of those kind of comebacks, but certainly more of those kind of finishes going forward this season with Simon Pagino. Um But certainly, certainly, though, I think he probably misses that the Indy 500 isn't the next weekend after the road course race. But I think uh, we'll see him go forward and continue to have the good result that he had with The third this week in the second last uh, Last uh, race at Texas
0: Yeah we'll go over Before we get into this next Point here Scott Dixon wins Uh, He's only As Josh was talking about In terms of wins he's only Four wins away from tying Mario Andretti for second all time Uh, Mario had 52 wins And Scott is at 48 And we have Graham Ray Hall, Greem Rehall, Simon Pagno, Colton Herta for Andretti, and 18 different other owners. Whenever Renus VK after a nightmare, Texas gets the top five for Ed Carpenter, Marcus Erickson, Joseph Newgarden in seventh, Pato Ward eighth, Santino Ferrucci ninth, Takuma Sato tenth, and NBC's James Hinchcliffe finished eleventh. There, Connor Daly had an alternative strategy, didn't work out so well, he finished well. Uh, they, in terms of lead lap cars, 20 cars of the 26 finished on the lead lap, only three cars did not finish, so it was an interesting race. And in terms of one of the cars that didn't finish, Alexander Rossi, who um, had engine and computer. Electronic issues at Texas, which uh, went and relegated him to just driving around in the first race of the season and then had electronic issues all weekend and mechanicals. And then uh, in the race, had a fuel pressure problem, which uh, saw him finish next to last is Is this the end for uh, Rossi in terms of trying to win the championship? does he have can he does he have a chance? I mean, can he somehow or another pull it out of his ass for lack of a better term and go and win this championship? He's been so close the last couple of years, but sad things happen. Honda, Andretti, he's the guy. How can this really happen with your lead dog? Uh, I mean there's so many things to say about this but really your thoughts on Alexander Rossi and now having to go to Road America in a double header and really win both of those to kind of get his championship back on track
1: no I think he's screwed uh, his season is probably well shot and it's probably just better off to just go for broke and go for wins um, it's not looking great for him he's 23rd in the standings and and uh, it's it's funny because you know he's um, finished 240 laps so far this season. He's only 40 laps off the pace in terms of overall laps run in the series, and he's 90 points or 84 points behind. Um, so I, it's going to be a, a very uphill battle to probably even finish top five in the standings, and certainly possibly maybe can get back to the top ten. But it's going to be very very tough sledding just to even. Um, get back to where we normally seen him finish the last two or three seasons but it's it's not looking good for him at all um you know maybe they're gonna have to try some alternate strategies like go go on blacks uh, at the start or go on reds or figure out a way like to um, stretch uh, the fuel window for him and similarly like how he uh, did it at indianapolis back in 2016 when he won the 500 maybe something like that it could be in the cards but I think just trying to uh, make his way back up there on overall pace, uh, it's going to be a very tough uphill, uh, uphill battle for sure.
0: Going and using strategy is a, definitely something, as you brought up, is, is something they're going to have to do. I mean, he, he's got a great uh, engineering team and great group, uh, leadership group, but Andretti Autosport is not... Uh, I mean while Colton hurt is up there uh, in fourth in points and Veach had that great run in at Texas. He was nowhere on Saturday. Ryan Hunter Ray is ninth. Um and so all the you have three of the Andretti cars up there, but it's not like they're up they're really doing anything. You have Ganassi and Penske you know going and instilling their they have instilled them are installed themselves as the favorites um, and has struggled here so far early the Road America doubleheader is a unique opportunity for teams that are behind if they can hit to possibly go and gain a lot of points Graham Ray Hall and uh, Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan team had a good uh, weekend there last year Uh, You look at some of the guys like Will Power, he's buried too. He's 14th in points. He's a title favorite. Uh, Alexander Rossi is behind Tony Kanaan, and Tony Kanaan didn't even run. uh, Broke a long uh, streak of races, consecutive races, which goes with another guy that we're going to talk about here in a moment. But when it's, it's not a good look when your lead guy is having the kind of problems that he's having. And frankly, Ryan Honore had the same kind of problems at Texas, but was able to get through and kind of make something of it. He isn't the same guy as he was in his heyday a few years ago, uh, winning races and winning a championship. And so Andretti really needs Rossi to be able to make the team look good and and compete. And when he's not able to do anything and when they're having the kind of problems they're having with him, it's, it's a fundamental issue because you already have dead weight in the 98 car. Zach Veach has had a questionable um, situation in career Colton Hurd is kind of one of those people they want to build up and he's kind of that next big thing but he's not ready theoretically for prime time Alexander Rossi not being able to show up for the first two races of the year it's a lot of pressure um, Rob Edwards and that whole group it's going to be huge pressure uh, starting this weekend at Road America with their double header that they're going to have there um with that, we can transition into the Year 400, uh, presented by uh, Big McKine Hand Sanitizer. Um, Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin dominated, but Kevin Harvick wins his third Brickyard 400, second and consecutive, joining, I think, what is it, Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson as drivers who have won consecutive Brickyard 400s. Uh, I guess we'll start with that. Um, we'll start with the thoughts you had, Josh, on the race itself. Some of the late start we had because of lightning. Uh, you, you had some of the, we're going to get into some of the details, but what were your, your overall thoughts on the Brickyard 400 on Sunday?
1: Well, um, it wasn't like the most exciting race, but certainly I thought at least this edition, um, it seemed more like a thinking man's race, if you will, I guess, and maybe even a little bit of a throwback to the old 500-mile races back in the day where those races were more of a attrition race where you had to kind of manage your car and outlast the failure and Everything to get a good finish or possibly win the race and that's kind of what I thought you know, we saw all the tire failures that we saw which is kind of similar to uh, the 2008 uh, 400 but this one certainly more violent endings for a lot of the tire failures that we had on Sunday and then Kevin Harvick was basically able to outlast Denny Hamlin there and Gotta give a lot of credit to Rodney Childers who kind of uh, saw that uh Hamlin was certainly going to have tire issues, and how the 11 car was courting uh, at the end of their runs with their uh, with their tires. So it was certainly a, um, a thinking men's a thinking men's race in terms of being able just to um, outsmart your opponent and or you know the opponent you're racing against, and and just being able to manage the car rather than um, outright aggressively try to race through the lead and whatnot. But, um, I thought even though we've had issues with, uh, the 550 rules package, I, I did think the, particularly the battle, um, for the lead in the, um, beginning of the final stage with, uh, Kevin Harvick was leading and, uh, Denny Hamlin was right under his tire tracks. I thought it was very compelling, even though there wasn't any passing going on. It was, um, good. It was a good indicator that Hamlin had a good car, uh, And he was able to stay with uh, Kevin Harvick to a degree uh, throughout that run. And then uh, later on was able to overtake him on a pit stop. But it was um, a decent race, but certainly not the greatest uh, Brickyard 400 overall.
0: I mean, saying great Brickyard 400 is asking a lot. I mean, since... We, since the Gen 4 car was retired, I don't know if there's really been a compelling Brickyard 400 in general uh, unless your driver is one. Uh, even when Brad, for me, when Brad won in 18, he needed a late race pass. Uh, just a similar package to what they've run the last couple of years. So, a uh, 550 rules package, which a, Big ass spoiler and all that. Um, it's it's something to be said. You 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 have to question NASCAR in terms of what they're trying to do, what they think they're trying to accomplish by re- bringing a package that literally only works for a lap and a half after a restart. Um, you know, it, what what you what you saw on Sunday was the two top guys that are going for this championship battling and uh Badier decided the the finish because Hamlin was going to win. Um, I was not going to be happy about it. And then he goes and knocks the fence down and, and Harvick holds on beating uh, Matt Kenseth who had his best run since uh, returning, uh, out, getting out of uh, his semi retirement. Cause he never declared he was retired. They were all saying he retired, he retired. No, he never retired because he was running a late model and he was winning at Slinger, so I don't think he retired. Um, he didn't retire on uh, on his own accord. It was because freaking Gibbs got rid of him, too, the way he gets rid of race teams. Yeah, Eric Almirola in third, fifth consecutive top-five finish for him. Also, uh, the most top fives he's ever had in his in one season in his career. So I guess Mike Bogoravich isn't a bad crew chief at all, huh? Uh, Brad Keselowski finishes fourth. Cole Custer finishes fifth. Best career finish for him uh, after starting 30th. Kyle Busch, sixth. Michael McDowell gets another top 10 for front row motorsports. So that's three consecutive top 10 finishes or yeah, for that organization. So that's a big deal for them. Uh, John Hunter got a top 15. So they've made a lot of progress. Tyler Reddick gets an eighth place finish. Bubba Wallace ninth. Uh, last year he finished third in this race. This year ninth. Joey Logano started on pole, finished 10th. Uh, after he lost the lead early in the race, he never really was a factor. So you, you look at, the harvick and hamlin uh the the question i was gonna say it's like what i mean i I don't know about what we saw on sunday but is there anybody right now that you think josh could go and compete with either harvick or hamlin for this 2020 cup series championship right now
1: no uh Maybe Brad Keslowski, possibly, or Ryan Blaney, but those guys are yeah, they're they're not as consistent as Hamlin and Harvick, so uh I I think it's for right now I think Harvick and Hamlin are a class of their own right now. Uh certainly that might change during the uh the playoff chase and and uh even going down to the last race of the season, but Uh, I think for right now, Hamlin and Harvick are in their own uh, class.
0: Yeah, you brought up Ryan Blaney there, and I figure that's it's a good time to kind of bring up what happened on pit road. Uh, Zach Price, rear tire changer for the 12 car for Penske Racing, and Ryan Blaney got uh, hit uh, on pit road during the competition yellow and uh, suffered uh, lower leg injuries, fracture in the knee area, it says there, uh, yes. based on Todd Gordon. Um, he had to have surgery for that, so jacked him up pretty good. Um, it, the, it's it, it's something you, you don't like to see that sort of stuff. Uh, you talked about it on talking in circles last night uh, you know the mike rich incident at atlanta which basically prompted speed limits or limiting pit road people on pit road uh starting in 1991 in nascar but i mean the the issue I have with it, and I, I know we talked about it, Josh, uh, it's like I there was one, there's very few things that I seemingly can come out on a positive with NASCAR, but one thing that I did like was the modified competition yellow. And when you consider that there were 40, 38 cars or something on the lead lap or whatever it was, 12 laps into that race, wouldn't it have been a perfect place to, When you're going to have a competition caution, which in its own right is kind of a cluster in itself, wouldn't it be better to just go and have half the field on pit road, the top 20, run for a lap and give them all the time they want and get off pit road before the, the caution, the pace car gets back to the commit cone line and doing that whole thing versus what they had? Which caused what we had on Sunday? Um, what were your thoughts on um, that whole deal with Zach Price and the accident that happened there, and all the cluster um, that went on there at the early part of the Brickyard Four Hundred?
1: Yeah, it was a very um, weird incident. Uh, it was—I I, don't—I do not think I've ever seen anything like that. You know, it's almost—you can almost put like any Daryl Waltrip quote where he gets excited for no reason and put that there, but it was just, um, a weird incident to see. And then you know, he ended up, uh, so the report is that he has a, a leg fracture and he'll be out for three to four months, but he won't require surgery. Um, and he actually could return, uh, for the end of the season if, um, he's able to progress in his recovery with that. So, um, I guess good that it doesn't require any surgery, but, uh, As far as the pit road procedure, you know, I'm going to kind of go into what I talked to you on Sunday is that, yeah, I think they should just, you know, NASCAR closes pit road when the caution comes out and then they open it when it's time to pit, Uh, you know, they have the lead lap cars pit first and then the uh, cars off the lead lap. And I think they do it because of, um, I guess, like to keep scoring in place and, um, make sure there's no problems with scoring, but you know they used to do it where when the caution comes out they wouldn't close pit road and then cars could kind of pit whenever they wanted to. Um, and that does seem a little bit more of uh, I don't want to how do I say it like more you know like leaving it up to the teams like when they want to pit and being more giving them more autonomy and it could get disorganized, uh, but i i think that would be a solution to lessen traffic overall for not just for a competition caution but for any caution because that could have easily happened at any any point uh during a yellow flag period whether during a stage caution period or you know anything else um where you have that many cars on pit road um but it's certainly what you said is also a, a possibility too where they split up the the field for uh, caution, and maybe they should just do that for for all cautions. Period. Um, certainly, either way would uh, be a solution, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I, I like that option because you, you, you if you wanted to pit, you can go and pit. If you didn't, if you don't want to pit, it's fine. But there's, it, it I, whatever, whatever you had there on Sunday is not acceptable getting a a pit a a pit crew member mowed down for no reason whatsoever because the these competition yellows are a joke in general because these teams don't really take them seriously and when you pit 12 laps into a race you're not really learning anything at all which is why it made no sense to me why they were doing it 12 laps in. And then you destroyed a bunch of race cars. I mean, one race car in particular I didn't really care that they destroyed. But the the other ones, you know, you look at JTG Doherty had lost both of their race cars there. Martin Truex gets knocked out. He had engine problems and got stuck tail back and was taken out because of that. Uh, you, you're, I mean, you add some of these other guys. It, it's just, it, it's unnecessary, and and frankly, it's idiotic. But then it's NASCAR, so you have to kind of take that for what it is. Um, the big story, I would say, from uh, the from the Brickyard 400 in general, was the amount of blown tires that took place uh, which Bad Year is known for uh, they've done that for many years and uh, I talked about this um, I, I, I'm gonna before I go off on my, I, my thing because I think we kind of the 550 rules package is what it is it doesn't work on flat racetracks it was shown at Pocono last week uh, the only time... They they basically had passing for about a lap uh, after restarts at Indy. Uh, the 550 rules package doesn't work on flat racetracks. Um, so I don't think that's really worth getting into more detail. Um, uh, why is... Why are these tire failures acceptable and why why is it okay for Goodyear to kind of pass the buck and go and deflect and blame other things other than making a bad product which is what Goodyear is known for?
1: Yeah, I think certainly for Goodyear on on their part like yeah, they've they've deflected and blamed for years and and they've never really accepted any responsibility and that's why Goodyear is always. That's part of the problem with, uh, especially with the Cup Series, is that they haven't had a really a great tire for years, and and um, or really consistently good tire for years. That not only at Indy but at other tracks as well, where they don't have problems or it doesn't wear out uh, well enough to provide enough grip, or it's too hard. You know, there's all sorts of issues, and and for it to happen continuously at Indy, it shows that they just don't know how to produce a tire that that well for the cup series with uh the the type of car that they have here in the cup series. But it also shows for NASCAR's part, you know, with the amount of load that they have with uh the downforce levels that they had this year and even last year, like it shows that that this tire is not going to be able to stand at that type of load. Um and and the other thing you have to consider is that ever since they've changed to the car tomorrow, um they basically had a car that's had a design where the car had a higher center of gravity than the Gen Four car, and you know we didn't really see this type of tire failure on this kind of level, like in 2008 or this year or whenever in the last in that period of time, and we never really saw that with uh, the old Gen Four car, and it shows just how bad of a, you know when you have two bad products, it's never going to be right, and like if you know, one side isn't in equilibrium with other um, then you're never going to see a good result and you're never going to get what what you want Um, but for NASCAR you know like I think they have to realize at some point that the higher speeds that they have with the uh, downforce it's it's not a good match with soft tires on a rough track and if Goodyear like they had decided to bring a harder tire to make sure that uh, the um the tires would wouldn't fail under that amount of loads so we probably would have even saw a a much more worse race than what uh we saw on Sunday
0: it's to me it's it's unacceptable that Goodyear keeps on passing the buck and And acting like it's okay, they blame the teams, they blame air pressure, they blame the car. The Gen 5 car came along in 2007, and of course the debacle at Indy took place in 2008. Indianapolis in its own right, like I was watching a thing on YouTube, Aiden Millward was talking about the F1 cluster that took place in 2005. Where there was a tire thing. Where. Because of basically Ferrari. They didn't have the. They didn't have a race. And because of Max Mosley. And the FIA. They didn't have a proper race. The. Goodyear. has Is the exclusive tire supplier. Of NASCAR has been that. Since 1995. They have. Consistently made the worst racing tire in all of motorsport and it's proven because they used to be in IndyCar, car they used to be in Formula One they used to be in sports cars and now there are none of those I mean they they rebadged the Dunlop tires that are in LMP2 Goodyear's because they want to prove they want to make it look like they actually make good tires though those aren't their direct directly made tires you, you want to tell me that the hits that Eric Jones had, the the Hamlin... I don't like Denny Hamlin, and it doesn't matter whether I've, it's come off in this show or other shows. I'm no fan of Denny Hamlin, but the hit he took late in that race, the Eric Jones hit, No Neck had one, uh, uh, Alex Bowman had a blown tire, too. You know, it it's it's unacceptable that you're racing at that kind of speed and you don't know if a tire is going to explode and you're going to hit a wall. Um, you have to be grateful that you have these, um, you know, these, the, the safety innovations like the safer barrier, the, the Hans device, these new seats, all uh, the, the safety of the gen six car, All those things are a good thing, because if it weren't for that, we might have seen somebody get injured there, Uh, because for years they've blown tires out in Indy, and they've never fixed it, and Indy is its own unique animal in how they manage their surface, and they diamond grind, and they put a sealer on there so it doesn't look weathered, but it's still a diamond ground surface. But somehow or another Firestone's able to make a tire that doesn't blow out at all for for Indy cars when they have 35 Indy cars running thousands of laps over a week and a half at Indy and a full race. But NASCAR shows up at Indy whether there's rubber on the racetrack or not and they can't make a tire that can last. But they blame the teams, they blame everything. They, they remind me of somebody else, and, and, and they're just as mediocre as that somebody else. So it kind of fits the bill. Um, why NASCAR uh, accepts this other than the amount of money that the France family is able to make is bullshit. Um, it's It's not right for the drivers to have to put their lives on the line While they make an absolute crap product, when you have a crap aero package and then you have a crap tire product, you're gonna have um, you're gonna have the the kind of races that you had there. Is why you know you why. These people get injured, or why why we have the issues that we have in in NASCAR in general, and and fundamentally it, it just disgusts me that um, Goodyear thinks it's okay to uh, run run the way that they run and do what they do. Uh, it's it's BS and and, and it's wrong, and in if you if you're willing to go and uh, and promote goodyear and act like they're all right it's it, you don't understand how bad they've been for the last 15 years and how bad they've been or 20 plus years for that matter it is like 25 years for that matter um, and it, it's it's just wrong uh, it's it, it's disturbing to me. Er, Ernie Irvin got hurt uh, because of Goodyear tires. Tim Steele's career was derailed because of Goodyear tires. Other people died. It's unacceptable. And and uh, NASCAR's got plenty of problems that they can't seem to deal with, but that's one of them that they could deal with easily. Because there are plenty of tire manufacturers that can make a tire that can last and can manage the loads that they have at any racetrack and make a good product. Goodyear can't do that. Um, they won't do anything because Goodyear pays a good good uh, premium to the Frances, which is why we're going to have the same mediocre bullshit that we've had for so many years. Um With that, we'll go to a race that was at least uh, decent, which was the Pennzoil 150 at uh, Indy. It was on Saturday after the Indy car race. Chase Briscoe wins his fifth race of uh, 2020 in the Xfinity Series. Home, Home win for him. He goes and... theoretically gives away the race with four laps to go and then two laps later is able to go and pass AJ Allmendinger and go and get the win um I mean you talked about it last week Josh and I mean my bias aside it's something to see what uh what uh Chase Briscoe is doing right now here in the Xfinity series. What were your thoughts on the Penske one fifty on Saturday?
1: Yeah, I think the it was a great race and it certainly helped that, you know, they've never raced here before at uh the Indianapolis Road Course. And I think it will probably go down as one of the if not the best finish uh of the year for the Xfinity series will probably go down as one of the better ones. Uh, I don't think we've seen... We haven't yet seen a race this year where essentially the the top four, top five cars in the race were able to go nose to tail for the last couple of um, laps there at the very end. And we saw um, drivers making mistakes trying to get to the lead and and making mistakes like Briscoe did to actually lose the lead um, in the last handful of laps um, at their race and just um, shows the um what road courses can do for stock cars and and shows how entertaining those um those kind of races can be um and so hopefully hopefully forward next year they come back to the uh Indianapolis Grand Prix uh layout and they're able to put on a a, a show just like they did this year but you know I think going on for AJ Almendinger, like you know he he ended up finishing in fourth place and he had a chance to win and it kind of shows the level of um, his, I guess, mental fitness at the end. You have to kind of question it because he had the the win in the bag, and then he just made a mistake and um, took himself out of it, and he got worried about Sindrick and trying to um, beat him, and then they lost track of Briscoe because he certainly had uh, one of the cars that could have won that race, and you know, it shows how he uh, tends to get overly emotional at the end uh, when he's in the race car and, you know, it's probably prevented him from getting a couple of wins in the past and, and this one included
0: great point there. I, you look at AJ Almeninger's uh, cup series career and they, everyone would talk about, oh, he's a favorite at Sonoma and, and Watkins Glen and he, he gave uh, you could say he gave away a couple of races at Sonoma and probably, One at Watkins Len because of, you know, his being emotional and being a very, very fiery, um, guy. And in this case, you know, there's radio of what Austin Sindrick said, oh, he costs us both the race. I mean, Austin Sindrick is not that good. So fundamentally he costs himself because he went and, um, trusted that Riley Herbst wouldn't be Riley Herbst. And got penalized. So then he got he he had an issue. AJ Allmendinger got penalized for speeding on pit road because he tried to pit under yellow and sped on pit road. Chris Rice, I guess they didn't time it right. Uh, There's I think Vinny Miller at a tire go down and they threw yellow for that. Uh, so both of them had penalties. Came back and then still figured out a way to go and choke that deal away, which I mean, it's not surprising considering AJ Almaninger's NASCAR career, uh, that, that he kind of goes and chokes away a finish there. Um, it's, it, it doesn't really shock me in terms of Austin Sindrick, not being able to come through. It also doesn't, uh, shock me either. Um, it, it's, you have to go and look at the kind of talent that they have in relative to what they are. Um, it, it kind of, it kind of says that even though they had the two best race cars a whole weekend and they probably should have been able to make something happen, it says something that Chase Briscoe was able to kind of go and sneak under the, under the, the cover there and, and go and make something happen, even after he made a mistake uh, there with four laps to go just uh, on turn, I guess, turn 12, running wide, and it was able to come back there. So, hey, uh, credit to Chase Briscoe and, uh, I mean, Justin Haley. So two Indiana boys finished 1-2 there. Noah Gregson, third. Almeninger fourth. Sindrick, fifth. Ross, Chastain, sixth. Allgaier 7th, Alex LeBay 8th, Michael Annette ninth, and Preston Pardis, son of Dan Pardis, a famous ARCA driver. He used to announce for Speed Channel, um, gets a 10th place finish, so two uh, top 10 finishes for the uh, Mario Goslin team there. Brandon Godovic gets a 12th place finish, and other guys there. Brandon Brown, 11th. Jeremy Clemens, 13, Jade Bufurtney, whoever he is, and 14th. There, Myatt Snyder. There's some other people. So, it's so one of the good things that comes from the road course races. You get a little jumbled up finish there. Uh, the points we'll get into in more detail later. Um,. We'll um, start with – we'll transition into that with Kentucky because now we're talking about the Kentucky uh, races. The truck series will be on uh, Saturday. There will be two Xfinity races, Thursday night and Friday night. And then the truck series will run Saturday night at Kentucky. Uh, Going into uh, Kentucky, last race was Pocono. Uh, Brandon Jones won at Pocono in a race that was basically a demolition derby. Uh, you had other stuff going on there uh, at uh, at Pocono in terms of uh, their competitiveness and people running over each other. It'll be the buckle up your truck 225. Uh, they have 40 entries there uh, in this race Angela Ruck, for all you people who love Angela Ruck uh, she'll be back in a, in the seat, you'll have some of the other cellar dwellers there um, the 51 will be driven by Chandler Smith, who's a Toyota TRD uh, b- development driver you'll have um some of the other people. You go look at that here. You got Chase Purdy will be in the 24 again for GMS Racing. Uh, you'll have Trey Hutchins will uh, be running one of his limited races. You got Spencer Davis. Some of the ARCA fails will be showing up uh, that are filling the field. Brian um, Truex will be in the 40 uh niece motorsports truck no Ross Chastain this week which is interesting um I mean uh we'll go and start with we what in terms of the Pocono race Josh what were you what were your takeaways from that and then who do you look for this week at Kentucky it's a wild card in a sense where you could go and do a little fuel mileage, you could go and do something crazy, because Tyler Ankrum did that to go and make the playoffs for DGR Crosley last year.
1: Yeah, I think, well, we go back a couple weeks ago to Pocono, that was definitely one of the more messier races. It was definitely what you'd say of uh, uh, just just all around Clown Show, I think. There was just a lot of wrecking. You saw Matt Crafton get crashed out on the first lap and that was a little bit of a hilarious exchange to be honest. He was, um, crew chief immediately saw the cameras like crew chief just got off the box and immediately headed for the exits, <laughs> which was a little funny to me, but, um, other crashes, uh, throughout that race. Uh, then, you know, at the end we saw, uh, Brandon Jones ended up getting, uh, the win in that race and, um, of course it was in the the Kyle Busch Motorsports car which is probably the best Equipment in the truck series as we all know um, And still A good finish for Austin Hill And Sheldon Creed who uh, Gave their best efforts at the Very end of that race But overall it was just a messy race um, and Certainly hopefully we don't See that uh, this week at uh, Kentucky but I can't guarantee it
0: Yeah Sheldon Creed I think had the best truck and he, he showed the kind of talent and skill that he did in Arca with uh, MDM a couple of years ago when he won the championship. He's the protege of Robbie Gordon. He has that same kind of, you know, uh, go for broke style that uh, Robbie Gordon's well known for. He won stadium super truck championship over there before he went and, turn to pavement and creed is, is a diamond in the rough and uh, GMS has something there. If they really wanted to go and invest in a driver that has kind of the flash and, and pizzazz, uh, he had the truck to win, made a pass to try to make it happen and didn't work there late uh, in what was basically a demo derby. Todd Gillen getting another top five finish now with no pressure on him, not running for, uh, Gibbs or I mean for Gibbs and Kyle Bush, he seems to be kind of finding himself and we'll see, uh, with the Ford development program, how things are. I think he's probably got a better shot of finding a ride that way. Anyway, uh, Ben Rhodes finished fifth that uh, a couple weeks ago at, uh, uh, Pocono is Basically Yeah two weeks well, Two weeks ago You had uh, Chastain sixth Moffitt seventh Stuart Friesen eighth Tyler Ankrum ninth Derek Krause in tenth uh, What is it Christian Eckes wrecked While uh, running up front I think he was running He was leading and he cut a tire Same thing happened to Chase Briscoe but uh, Chase Briscoe was able to recover. Uh, You had uh, Damaged Vehicle Policy there for the... uh, You had uh, Brennan Poole, he got wrecked there. Ty Majeski wrecked while running up front trying to make something happen. Lassard went and took out a bunch of grass in turn three. Um, Austin Wayne's self, Roba, and were part of the crafting incident. Uh, we will see. Um, I guess the next question is, in terms of a, a series regular for um, Saturday night's race, who do you look at to to be a favorite in terms of a series regular and for for a limited schedule like for. Who is somebody that doesn't run every week who you think could possibly go and sneak up and get a win here on Saturday, Josh, for this uh, truck series race?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with um, someone who's been pretty reliable the last couple of truck races, and I'm going to go with Austin Hill. And, you know, he's come close to the last couple of races here in the, uh, the truck series and hasn't quite um, pulled it out for – Uh, the win for these races lately, but certainly he's been um, somebody who's been very consistent in his races. And I I think, um, you know, even, even uh, with uh, this uh, schedule that we've had so far, I think he's certainly a contender and, and, you know, he's had some close finishes here and there. And I think he'll be able to, um, at least if he can't win, he'll, he'll probably get a top 10 or a top five. Um, as far as a regular um, or um, a wild card, um, that's a little bit of a, a tougher answer there. Um, but I'd, uh, maybe I'll go with, um, uh, I don't know, um, let's see, maybe go with um, somebody like uh, Ryan Truex, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's uh, when you look at who's a non-regular and you look at Nice Motorsports, they've had kind of a rough season relative to what they had last year. Uh, Chastain, when he's in those trucks, is always up front. Truex hasn't been able to win. He he got close a couple of times in, in the 20 car when he ran for Gibbs. He, in Xfinity, he ran the 11 in Xfinity as well. He's had some shots in the truck. He'd be somebody to look at for sure. Um, I'd go and and say in terms of a regular, as somebody that kind of needs to go and make something happen, I was going to go with with uh, Brett Moffitt, but I think his... Situation in terms of uh, points isn't as bad. Uh, Brett Moffitt is actually ninth in points, uh, two points ahead of Sauter and 11 uh, ahead of 11th. Um, but I think Brett Moffitt is somebody that will be able to kind of hold on and make something happen. Uh, somebody who needs... a a good race and needs to have something happen is Matt Crafton. He hasn't won in a while and um, it would be to his benefit to show up at Kentucky and get a win and uh, lock himself into the playoff just as Grant Enfinger has, because if he doesn't have any races as Xfinity and Cup and they don't have as many places to make the playoffs they've expanded the playoffs too so for them to kind of make something happen it's going to be very difficult uh to if they don't win uh soon for uh, Matt Craft and the defending champion three-time series champion the defending series champion as well uh excuse me in terms of a non-regular, Chandler Smith is the pick. Um, driving to 51, Danny Stockman. Chandler Smith has had a lot of pace. Uh, he's a guy that I think is a, uh, a future star in the sport. And uh, you look at Compass Motorsports, they put most of their energy in the 51 to the detriment of the 18 and the 4. Um they the 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 Lassard has had a brutal start to the year. Uh you Christian Eckis is sixth in points and he's okay right now, but it's very tight points wise. He's only twenty points between sixth and eleven, so that can be made up in stages. Uh the Chandler Smith could go out there uh Saturday and make something happen uh, for sure. We will see on that, and we'll discuss it more in detail uh, next week, of course. Next uh, will be the Xfinity. Xfinity Series will have two races at uh, Kentucky. They'll be running uh, both uh, Thursday night and Friday night, which um, is unique. And um we'll uh see you know, let me go and bring that up. They'll have the Shady Rays two hundred on uh Thursday night, and then they will have the Alsco three hundred on Friday, so five hundred miles at Kentucky two night races uh so it'll be a little different strategy there. Um, in terms of the uh, Thursday night race, a little shorter deal there. Uh, when, when you look at the Xfinity Series, Chase Briscoe has definitely um, separated himself from the rest of the field. But um, who would you say, Josh, is somebody that um, could go and uh, give him a little trouble here, uh, both of these races. Not just uh, a, a regular that has won, but somebody who hasn't run won so far this year that is a series regular.
1: Yeah, actually, I'm going to go with, for this, I'll go with Austin Sindrick. Uh, he hasn't won yet this year, uh, and I think uh, for... You know when he was in the uh, doubleheader at Homestead, he was certainly contender. He led a lot of laps, and he I think he crashed in one of those races, but he, he still showed that he was able to contend on both days. And it seems like uh, for him, at least, or at least for his team, that he's able to go and um, contend and uh, lead laps or finish in the top five. And so I I think based on how the last two doubleheaders went. Uh, I think it's certainly possible that that could happen. And actually, I me mean, excuse myself, I think yeah, actually he finished second and 10th at Homestead uh, at that doubleheader. I was thinking of something else, and I, I thought he crashed, but no. Um, he finished second and 10th, so certainly that's a good pick. Um, but although Kentucky is a, a different uh, set of track, had a recent repaved back in 2016, and they have the variable banking with turn one uh, being – less banked, I think, or more banked, and then turn uh, three and four um, having the opposite set up. And it's a bit bit unconventional and hasn't really worked out, but certainly might be something to see in the years coming forward as uh, potentially the track wears out. But maybe another guy uh, that we could see going forward into this race, uh, potentially maybe, maybe somebody like, uh, somebody, somebody like, uh, here going forward in uh, this race, of potentially uh, maybe Ross Chastain. You know, he was another guy that finished well on uh, Homestead back in uh, last month. So certainly maybe he could uh, bring out <coughs> um, a good finish in the doubleheader. Really, any of the regulars that you saw in uh, Homestead who finished well, I think could potentially do well here at uh at home or at Kentucky here this season And potentially maybe uh, Guys who didn't last year uh, Cole Custer won the race last year And now he's in the Cup Series Maybe, maybe somebody like uh, Justin Haley Finished top 10 last year at this race So potentially maybe he could uh, do well Here this year
0: um, Yeah that's When you look at Austin Sindrick He's due I mean when He hasn't I mean, for whatever reason, probably because he's not that good, uh, hasn't won a race, uh, but he has the equipment. Kentucky is a track where Penske has been very good over the years, both in in Cup and Xfinity. Uh, Ryan Blaney won his first Xfinity race for uh, the, the Penske team there in 13. Uh, Brad Keselowski's been very good there, so is Logano. So it could be an opportunity for them. Of course, Haley won at Talladega. The The colleague team has made a lot of progress here in recent weeks. Uh, since post-COVID, the colleague team has taken a big step forward. So uh, I would I would definitely look at Haley, but I'd also look at Ross Chastain as somebody who hasn't won yet that could really go and finally get his first win of the year, solidify himself in the playoff. Uh, you have to look at all Geyer as well. Who's on deck probably to run the 48. Um, we didn't um, mention that during the Brickyard 400 uh, recap. It's uh, my fault that um, Jimmy Johnson tested positive for COVID. Uh, we don't know as of now, based on uh, when we're doing the show, on Tuesday night, whether, um, Jimmy Johnson will be, uh, uh, eligible to run, uh, the, uh, Kentucky race on Sunday afternoon. He has to test negative a couple of times, get checked by a doctor and be cleared to be able to run at, um, Kentucky. My thinking was he'd probably miss Kentucky as well. And miss the all-star race And then come back For whatever the hell The next race is after that um, But if he's able to run At Kentucky on Sunday It would be good for him And his jam chase But um, you look at uh, Justin Allgaier He's the guy that they picked To run for whoever um, If anybody gets affected By the uh, COVID-19 So he had a brutal run there at Indy, but uh, he's somebody that to look at as well uh, along with um, his buddy, Ross Chastain as two guys uh, for the Xfinity race, both Xfinity races be 500 miles of Xfinity racing here starting uh, Thursday night. Uh, we should say weather permitting because we don't know what's going to happen with weather probably there will be lightning and thunderstorms and rain because it's NASCAR. Um, We'll go into the uh, cup series event, the Quaker state 400 at uh, Kentucky. Uh, We would, uh, it's the last race before the all-star race. So, if a driver hasn't locked themselves in based on winning, uh, they'd be subject to the fan vote. Uh, Eric Almirola is trying to put out a vote for his, uh, Smithfield with the bacon five straight top five finishes. What are your thoughts on who, uh, Josh, on who could, uh, go out there and win that isn't, you know, uh, Kevin Harvick and, um, denny hamlin
1: well this is a mile and a half track and it's one of the repaved mile and a half tracks that you've seen the last couple of years and so you kind of have to go back to um charlotte which is really the last well yeah homestead was a mile and a half track too but it's worn out and it's a little bit different than the other tracks and charlotte is uh performs a lot more to what we see at Kentucky the last couple of years since that track got repaved. So I think maybe potentially somebody like Chase Elliott or Brad Keselowski, those guys that uh, won at the 600 and and the um, Charlotte 500k um, back at the end of May. So I think guys uh, like that I think uh, potentially could uh, bring the challenge uh, besides um, your regular contenders like Harvick, Hamlin, even um, Ryan Blaney and other um, drivers like that.
0: Yeah, the it's gonna be. I think the one thing that'll be different compared to the uh, usual Kentucky races with the 550 packages. Fact will be a day, so it it, it should lead to possibly a better race and which would open up opportunities for some of these other drivers. I picked Kyle Busch last week on this show uh, while dry heaving. I'm going to pick Kyle Busch this week. And I'm going to continue to pick Kyle Busch until he wins, because to me it's, it's hard to believe that Kyle Busch uh, hasn't won. He's only won one race in the last, I think, 38 or something like that, which was Homestead, conveniently. Uh, this uh, what For whatever reason, after he went on his little heater early in the year last year, uh, things went away, and he basically disappeared until Homestead. And since then, he hasn't really been there either. I don't buy it. I, I kind of feel like I, they have something. Uh, he got beat by his brother Kurt last year uh, and I got the diecast to show for it um, I think Kurt or I mean Kyle is due and we will see what they do here on uh, Sunday at Kentucky for 400 miles weather permitting of course when they're going to probably get themselves into a lightning storm because of how they schedule races but I'd also one, one person in terms of a driver that needs a win to get themselves into the all-star race. I, w- I would look at, I would look at Al five straight top five finishes. It's one of his better racetracks. He goes over there, wins the race, doesn't have to worry about it. It's good for the sport. Another competitive car, bugger ravage. I think finally has found some stability here in this cup series with the right kind of driver. And, uh, he's the kind of guy that could go out there at Kentucky and go and sneak one. I mean, if the high line could come in, possibly Tyler Reddick might be in play as well. Uh,
1: maybe Clint Boyer too.
0: Well, yeah. Clint Boyer is also there. Um, if he is in busy, uh, out in the wilderness, which he usually is. Um, we'll go to the IndyCar series with uh, Doubleheader at Road America. Um, you, you go and look at, since IndyCar's return to Road America, it's been Scott Dixon, Will Power, uh, it's the guys that uh, the usual suspects so to speak, you know, Alexander Rossi won there last year, Will Power, Scott Dixon, Joseph Mewgarden. So you you have guys that are usually considered the the best of the best. Um, what, in terms of uh, guys that um, – I'll, I'll say this. For, for people that are in the top five, I'm going to, for you, Josh, I, I look at the top ten in points. Who's one driver that we should look for that isn't, like, Scott Dixon, outside of Scott Dixon, and then outside of the top ten, who is somebody that we should look at for both of these races here um, on Saturday and Sunday?
1: Well, uh, I think somebody in the top ten that maybe we should be looking for is, um, and and there are, there are a couple of names here I've mentioned before in the podcast. I'm going to go with um, one that maybe I haven't talked about is uh, Connor Daly, and he's in seventh place right now. Uh, he's got an average finish of ninth, and he did did pretty good in the first race of the season, and the last race at the Grand Prix finished in 12th place. Uh, not the best result, but a solid result uh for his team. Uh, and so I think uh he'll definitely have a, a good shot um for a good finish at least uh here at the doubleheader at, at uh Road America. And then somebody maybe in the uh top or you know below the top ten uh I'm gonna go with uh Santino Farici. Um he's certainly had a lot of talent uh behind the wheel and just doesn't have the consistency but certainly there's, you know, at least one out of the two races, I could see him um, potentially finishing um, within the top ten, getting a solid finish there.
0: Yeah, it's it's something when you look at the Road America and what the the, the ability for different teams to compete. It's been kind of a, a Andretti. You look at the big three teams: Andretti, uh, Penske. Ganassi, they've been able to be up front Dixon knows how to win on these great circuits Rossi needs to go out there I feel like he's going to go out on Saturday and uh, dominate and win uh, he needs to, frankly uh, last year there was he led all but one lap of the uh, race in, um, at Road America the you, you look at uh, the, the kind of the drivers that need to have runs it's him and Power and they've both won there those are guys that um, are well known and capable at all times of uh, showing out at uh, any race track let alone Road America which is one of the great racetracks that we go to in uh, in America um, when it comes to other drivers I, I I think yeah you brought up Connor Daly that's a great one Josh I, I look at Paddle Award and Rena's VK Paddle Award had a had a rookie year last year that I mean, uh, Harding screwed him over, Andretti screwed him over, and um, he got signed by Red Bull. They were thinking they could get him a Super License so they could run for what what is now Tori. That didn't come through. He ran Super Formula and uh, came back and, uh, what is it, McLaren spam-want him. And now he's driving one of those cars and uh, he's in a good seat. And he's a driver that could be a long time factor in this series. And is somebody that it, people in Formula One are going to wonder why the hell they didn't go after him. Because he's that good. He's he's one of the best talents that's been around in the road indie Indy. Arena's uh, VK. Had a horrible race at Texas, horrible day at Texas, uh, wrecked a couple race cars, um, showed up last uh, Saturday and got a top five finish at Indianapolis. And I feel like that'll be continued since him and Connor uh, have a great relationship. The Ed Carpenter team has a great vibe going on there. Uh, Renis has a ton of pace. Uh, he's a protege of Ari e. Um he's got the talent to, to compete for a long time here in the IndyCar series and uh, he's a guy that could really uh, do something here during these two races at uh, Road America uh, with that um, we'll finish with the uh, formula one uh second race at austria and um i guess uh we'll we'll go we'll keep it simple josh uh, who do you look for that didn't have a great run last week to to come back and do a little better and who do, who do you look to win and uh who do you look to compete for uh, um, in terms that didn't compete in uh, last week there? So I uh, I will
1: go with Max Verstappen here. Uh, I think certainly the best – he's got a good talent, um, and this is a chance for him to um, have a do-over from last week. I think it's just that uh, it's a opportunity that he, uh, he needs – uh, to make up ground in the title, and there's uh, no better way to do it than at the place uh, that he didn't do well uh, the week before. And I think it, certainly um, he he has the ability, and, and he sh- he's got to go out there and do it. And somebody else that maybe we need to be looking for, uh, I think maybe um, Alexander Albon. You know, he finished well last week, or he didn't finish well, but... Uh, you know, he showed the ability at the very end, and then he got taken out by Lewis Hamilton, as we talked about earlier. But I, I think um, certainly, um, if it's possible to um, reproduce the performance that he had, and I think he uh, will be able to do it.
0: Yeah, that's the. You look at the Red Bull guys; they need to have a recovery. Um, uh, this week, after what happened last week, and you consider it's a home game at Red Bull Ring, it's a track that suits their race car. Uh, it's something that uh, if they're able to show up and perform, uh, it's it won't be a, it won't be a big loss. Uh, Mercedes, of course, is going to come come correct. Uh, I think Lewis Hamilton's going to show up and perform very well. I think he's a favorite, even though he lost to uh, uh, Valtteri Bottas last week. Uh, he doesn't take well to losing. He hasn't lost a whole hell of a lot since 2014, not on merit, um, especially so... He'll he'll be ready to go. Uh, One person that I would look at is, um, you look at Charles Leclerc, what he could do if he has an improved package this week uh, from Ferrari and what they can do um, in qualifying to kind of go and mess with the uh, uh, status quo and and even Vettel for that matter. Uh, If they're up there, how things will be, how how they have to do with um, strategy between the big three teams, because obviously uh, Mercedes had some issues with the way their design is, and those aren't going to go away. Red Bull had mechanical and technical issues, and those aren't going to go away in a week. Ferrari had no issues with reliability, but they had issues with pace, probably because um, the FIA caught them for the fuel flow and it's affected their teams with uh, their ability for top speed. So one thing we have to also look at is um, the reliability. Will there be the similar type of issues and only 11 finishers or will there be a little bit of an improvement here this week? Uh, That's something to look at. Um, uh, I look for improvements in general because Formula One, from one day to the next, they're always trying to figure out ways to improve. So I figure there's going to be improvements and benefits on that. So with that, we will end this week's uh, Gripstrip podcast. Uh, We will go into more details with the sports cars when they come back for their next race, uh, wherever the heck that is. But, um, uh, Josh, do you have anything going out?
1: Yeah, actually, I do. A quick question for you, Phil, is um, what do you think about the possibility of Daytona uh, Road Course replacing the Glen if uh, Governor Cuomo doesn't allow the Cup Series to come race or doesn't allow uh, Watkins Glen to be open for that race?
0: Yeah, that's something that's come out. It's a great question, Josh. Uh, it's been out there on the socials. Uh, Daytona Road Course, um, we're playing with uh, COVID itself with all the, the, the amount of uh, cases that have come up in Florida. But it'd be interesting to see the st- uh, stock cars and running the banking and then running the infield road course. It would be interesting. I, I wouldn't mind it. I'd rather they go to like Road America or VIR. Uh, those are both great road courses. Um, those are tracks that um, put on decent racing. Uh, IMSA runs both of those tracks. They could go and combine a double header there. Yeah, I think it would be good for the sport in general if they went to one of those two tracks. I think for. NASCAR and Daytona they wouldn't mind that if they run uh, a road course race there it would be um, they'd run the, the cut off for the, the regular season there with the Coke Zero 0400 I, it'd be interesting I, I think uh, I wish Tony Stewart would be in the race because he would probably get a win there too uh, he never won Daytona 500, but he'd be one on the road course there and on everything else. It would be interesting with the 750 rules package on the road course with the long straightaways and the balance that you have to have between um, uh, downforce in the infield and, and lack of drag on the uh, long straightaways. Uh, that's something to look for and and something that S.O.D. talked about. They're supposedly bringing out the schedule uh, here this week. So maybe we'll be able to talk about that next week here on the G.S.P. along with uh, sports cars and everything that took place this weekend between Formula One IndyCar and NASCAR. Um, We're on uh, iTunes we're on iTunes, Scripture Podcast. We're also on Podbean. If you want to find us for, for podcasts and streaming, and uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Philip G. Matthew and Facebook, Philip G. Matthew. Um, Josh, you change your uh, handle on Twitter. Um, you can go and let us know that and uh, your Facebook to go and find us the GSP.
1: Yeah. Yeah, My name on Twitter now is uh, JP Huffine, just my first two initials and my last name. And yeah, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at the same uh, uh, links as well.
0: Yeah, so uh, follow us on uh, the socials, Uh, give us a like, let us know what you think about the GSP, and uh, if you have any ideas, for uh upcoming episodes we might be having guests here uh next week or in the next few weeks here on the gsp uh so uh keep on listening and uh thank you so much and uh have a good day or good night or whenever you listen take care